grab your listening guides, if you will. We're in a series entitled, Why Do We Believe That? How many here have some personal beliefs that you believe about the Bible and believe about God? Let me see your hands. You got some personal beliefs? Why do you believe what you believe? Well, many of us believe what we believe because it's what we've been taught. And that's awesome if we've been taught well. The best way to get what you believe on track is go to the sole source of truth in all of creation, and that's the Word of God. The Word of God is absolute truth. There's nothing to be added to it. There's nothing to be taken away from it. It can't be amended. It can't be updated. We have studied that portion in our doctrine series of systematic theology, the Word of God. God revealed His will. God revealed His purpose. God revealed Himself. God revealed more than we'll ever comprehend in all of our lives within this one book, the Word of God. And so we believe what we believe because God said so. Because God said so. But anyway, we're systematically studying the doctrines of our faith. Last week, we uh, began talking about the doctrine of providence. We said that providence is God's ongoing relationship with his creation. God is not the clockmaker. God did not create the universe, wind it up, put it on a shelf, and go grocery shopping or whatever he might have chose to do. He didn't walk away from his creation and said, Good luck. Hope it goes well. I'll check back on you in a few thousand years. That's not the God we serve. God is the God of creation, and God is sovereign, and God is providential, and God is caring for, providing for, sustaining all of creation. God is a providential God. And the, the, the doctrine of providence is God's ongoing relationship with creation. If you remember, we used a very old, I think 1530, catechism known as the Heidelberg Catechism to explain God's providence as His almighty and ever-present power, whereby as with His hand He still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. So we see that all throughout time, people have recognized the truths and the doctrines that we learn in the Word of God, knowing that God is providential. Now, in looking at God's providence, we identified three specific attributes that help us see how God works and moves in and with his creation. First, we looked at the doctrine of preservation. Why, why does the world continue as it does? Because God is caring for it. Because God is sustaining it. Because God is preserving it. Preservation is a term that's used to say that God keeps all created things existing and maintaining the properties which he originally created them with. We gave the example of he preserves water in such a way that it continues to function and act as water. When God first created water, it was H2O. Thousands of years later, guess what? Water is still H2O. It's still water. Why? Because of the providence of God. God's 
preserving power. We talked about grass, how it continues to function as grass. Grass started out green. Guess what? Grass is still green. Why? Because of God's preserving power. In other words, He preserves that which He created. Now, second, we looked at the doctrine of concurrence. The doctrine of concurrence. You'll remember this is the aspect of divine providence that describes how God works in and through. God works within and God works through particular actions of his creatures, of his creation. In concurrence, we see divine agency and human agency running alongside one another, running along with one another in specific actions. And we're going to take a closer look at that here in just a few minutes as it relates to the matter of free agency and the problem of evil. I told you last week, as we talked about providence, when you dig into providence and you truly begin to understand what it means that God is sovereign and God is providential, that means God is in control of all things, then some questions pop up. If God is a good God, then why is there so much evil in the world? If God is such a good God and God is in control of all things, why do bad things happen to good people and so on and so forth? We're going to take a closer look at that. And then thirdly, last week, we looked at the doctrine of government. Government is the idea that God governs the world and he directs all things to their appointed purposes. I don't, I hope you don't, I want to declare we don't. We don't believe in chance. We don't believe in luck. Wipe those words out of your vocabulary. Don't you ever dare say, hey, I got lucky. No, you didn't get lucky. There's no such thing as luck. Well, hey, there's a good chance this may happen. There's a good chance that may happen. No, we don't believe in chance. We believe in the sovereignty of Almighty God. We believe in the providence of Almighty God. God, the world and everything in it, listen closely, the world and everything in it is not ruled by chance, it's not ruled by fate, it's ruled by God. It's ruled by Almighty God who is directing history, who forever has, is, and forever will direct history and creation toward God's ultimate goal. So, what does God do through providence? He sustains his creation. He works in and through his creation. And ultimately, he directs that creation to his good ends. Now, these three, these three things, they, they work together. They work in concurrence together. They're inseparable to bring to pass that which God has ordained before the creation of of the world. Now, however, if we understand God's providence to mean that He's preserving creation, that He's acting in and through it, and that He's governing all things toward a specific end that He has ordained, then we're left with some questions. We're left with a few questions that need to be answered, and guess who has the answer? 
not me God has the answer now because God has the answer we've studied we've dug them out we've learned them and we proclaim them to you so that we're all in one mind in one accord amen God is not the author of confusion God wrote one book and there's one interpretation of that book and it's absolute truth now here's three here's three questions how exactly how exactly are we to understand divine sovereignty and human free agency? How are we to understand how those work together? If God is sovereign, and He is, say amen. amen. If God is sovereign, then why are we, instead of God, responsible, held responsible for the sinful, evil things that we do? If God is in control of all things, then why are we being held responsible? And three... How can God be a good, good father, as we sang about a while ago? How can God be so good and so powerful and there still be evil in the world? Now, to answer these questions, let's look at what Scripture, not my thoughts or your thoughts or anybody else's thoughts, let's look to Scripture, let's look to God's Word and see how that it makes clear divine sovereignty and human responsibility number one number one god is absolutely sovereign if you believe that shout amen god is absolutely sovereign but in his sovereignty but his sovereignty never functions in such a way that human responsibility is curtailed, minimized, or mitigated. Now, God has a responsibility, and we have a responsibility. And in His providence, He joined those together to accomplish His will. Now, God not only assigns time and places to people, we talked about that last week. You were born to who you were born to, when you were born, you live where you live, all because God decides where people live where they're born what they do throughout life and when they're going to die god knows these things god ordained these things so not only does god assign time and places to people but listen he so reigns that even the most mundane natural processes are credited to his activity in the world remember verse 14 of psalm 104 we looked at it last week psalm 104 verse 14 says you God make the grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to take care of that's how they get their food from the earth what does that mean God is sustaining human lives God's the one who opens and shuts God is the one that brings about life and takes away life God is the one that 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 causes kings to rise and he removes kings from offices god is the one that establishes kingdoms and god is the one who takes away kingdoms and so we see god's sovereignty is enacted over all of creation but not only that we see god's sovereignty over human will in the old testament book of ezra ezra chapter 6 verse 22 says for seven days they celebrated the feast of unleavened bread with joy now why were they joyful look at this that's because the lord had filled them with joy they were glad because he changed the mind who changed the mind of the king of assyria 
God changed the king's mind. Why did he change the king's mind? So the king had helped them with the work on the house of the God of Israel. Now, the, the Israelites, they're happy and joyful. Why? Because God put joy in their hearts. The king of Assyria, their enemy, all of a sudden showed them favor. Why? Because God put his favor in the king's heart, and he had to share that with God's people, and he helped them build the house of God. God is sovereign over human will. Here we see God turning the heart of the king so that his actions actually help instead of destroy the Israelites in their work. God's sovereignty is clearly shown over all the inclinations of the human will. Moreover, we see God's sovereignty over evil. Say evil. God's sovereignty is enacted over all the evil in the world today, forever has been, forever will be. Psalms chapter 2 is a perfect example of this. Psalms chapter 2, verse 2 through 4. Now, now I think Pastor Darrell may have mentioned this in a sermon recently. Listen closely to this. The kings of the earth take their stand against the Lord. Now, that's a whole new sermon all in and of itself right there. But we won't go there today. The kings of the earth take their stand against the Lord. The rulers of the earth gather together against his anointed king. Now, we're talking about the providential care of God. We're talking about the sovereignty of God here. Here is people's will, but God is enacting his will over their will. Listen to what he says. Let us break free from their chains, they say. Let us throw off their ropes. But listen to this. The one who sits on his throne in heaven laughs. Who's he laughing at? The kings and the rulers of the earth who are against him. Like they have anything to say when it comes to God. The one who sits on his throne in heaven, he laughs. Listen, the Lord makes fun of those rulers and their plans. Hey, I don't care how early you get up in the morning, you're never going to get one over on God. God's in control, church. And you say, Brother Steve, you seem so excited about this, but to me it seems so boring, so mundane, so God is providential, so God is sovereign. Yeah, he is. That means that God has got everything under control. Some people worry themselves to death versus trusting in the sovereignty of Almighty God. Versus trusting the providential care of Almighty God. Look at Lamentations chapter 3, verse 37 and 38. Suppose people order something to happen. It won't happen unless the Lord plans it. Hmm? Troubles and good things alike come to people. Now just, now just, just, just take that in and know this and understand this. Troubles... And good things alike come to all people. Brother Steve, when is all the trouble going to be gone from my life? Well, if you are an unrepentant sinner, never. They're only going to get worse. And then at the end of life, because you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, He is going to condemn you to the everlasting lake of fire that's called hell and it's only going to get worse and worse and worse for all of eternity. 
But if you are a repentant sinner, if you are a born-again believer by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, if you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, if your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world, it's going to get better. Maybe not here on planet Earth. Nowhere in Scripture can I find where God says that life here on planet Earth is just going to be peachy keen. Here's what he says. You're going to be hated. You're going to be hated because of me. Because they hated me first, they will hate you. People walk around with their bottom lips stuck out. Oh, why does the world hate me? Because you're a believer. Goes with the territory. Goes with the title. Is it going to get any better? No. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. But because your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, when this life is over, God is going to say to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. Enter into the kingdom of God, and we'll spend all of eternity there trouble-free, pain-free, sickness-free, COVID-free. We will be free from every difficulty we've ever known in life, and we will live with him in perfect paradise forever and forever and forever. Now, why do troubles and good things alike come to people? Hmm, that's a great question. Where could we possibly find the answer? Somebody says, well, if you'll just finish up the verse, we'll have it. Good for you. Looking ahead, aren't you? Looking ahead. Look here. Troubles and good things alike come to people. Why? Because the Most High God has commanded them to come. Visiting with a lady just recently in the nursing home. She's telling me the troubles and woes of her life. And she's saying this happened and that happened and this bad thing and this bad thing happened. But you know, God didn't cause that. And I just can't let that go. I can't let that go. She needs to know that the good God, the good Father that we have, that sends good things into our lives and sends sunny days into our lives, he also sends troubled times into our life, and he also sends rainy days into our life. But all in all, it works for our good and his glory. Our good and his glory. Now, troubles and good things alike come to people, but why? The Most High God has commanded them to come. Now, the Lord is always... The Lord is always in sovereign control over all evil that exists. This is clear throughout all Scripture. We saw there in Lamentations 3 the example of God ordaining trouble, God ordaining evil. We have to be careful, though. We have to be careful to also see that the Scriptures never ascribe evil to God. The Scriptures never ascribe evil to God. So God is sovereign. His sovereignty never functions in such a way that human responsibility is curtailed, minimized, or mitigated. Now at the same time, we have to know that the Scriptures do make it very clear that even evil cannot escape God's sovereign control and God's purpose. Number two, number two. Human beings are morally responsible creatures. Right there, you ought to say, uh-oh. 
I was watching some Johnny Carson reruns recently, and he had a fella on there that I had just about forgot about. When I was a kid, mom and dad watched, you know, TV, and, and back in the late 60s and early 70s, you had the variety shows. You remember the variety shows? Y'all remember Flip Wilson? One of Flip, List, uh, Flip Wilson's taglines was this. You know where I'm going? The devil made me do it. Now, who knew that already? Was that not one of his famous taglines? The devil made me do it. Lie. Lie. That, that's just pushing your responsibility off on somebody else. Listen, the devil, now you need to know this as a truth. All joking aside, you need to know this. Satan has no authority and no power over a child of God. He cannot make you do anything. He can tempt you. He can woo you. He can paint a pretty picture and say, hey, you need to go here. You need to do this. But he can't make you make the decision to participate in the temptation. And even the Bible says that we're tempted when we're drawn away by our own evil desires all humans as humans we significantly significantly choose believe defy make decisions obey rebel and are rightly held accountable for all of our actions know that know that that even as a believer you're going to stand before almighty God one day and give an account for your life from the time you was saved until the time you died. But this characteristic never functions so as to make God absolutely contingent. The fact is clear in the command to repent found in Acts chapter 17, verse 30 and 31. In the past, God did not judge people for what they didn't know. But, now he commands all people everywhere to turn away from their sins. He has set a day when he will judge the world fairly. He has appointed a man to be its judge, Jesus Christ. He has appointed a man to be its judge. God has proved this to all people by raising that man from the dead. Again, all humans... All human beings are responsible for their actions before Almighty God. Say amen or oh me. Amen. And this responsibility arises out of God's initiative in election. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6. The commandments I give you today must be in your hearts. God says, I have taken my commands and I've placed them in your hearts. What does that mean for us as humanity? We're inescapable. We can't escape that. God's commands are in our hearts. It's God who ordains this responsibility that we're talking about. So number two, human beings are morally responsible creatures. Say this with me. I'm responsible. One, two, three. I'm responsible. You believe that? We ought to live that way then, shouldn't we? Human beings are morally responsible creatures. But it's from God that that responsibility arises. Now, despite everything Scripture says about God's sovereignty, number three, the Bible insists that God is perfectly 
good. Say perfectly good. That's God. That's God. Is that not wonderful? Is that not some of the best news you've heard all day? Not new news, not, not new news is it? The Bible insists that God is perfectly good. God is never, say never, God is never presented as an accomplice to evil or as secretly malicious or as standing behind evil like he stands behind good. The goodness of God is non-negotiable. God is a good God. God is a good, good Father. And throughout Scripture we see this. In Psalm chapter 92, verse 15, they will say to everyone, the Lord is honest, he is my rock, there is no evil in him. Psalm 145, verse 9, the Lord is good to all. He shows deep concern, listen, for everything he has made. Now let that sink in just a moment. What is it in existence today that is outside the scope of God's love and care and sovereignty and providence? Nothing. That's a good father, isn't it? The Bible insists that God is perfectly good, almighty, sovereign God, never sins. Say never sins. God never sins nor does anything evil or un holy again if there's one thing the bible is very very clear about it's that god is absolutely holy and incapable of sin in revelation chapter 4 and verse 8 each of the four living creatures had six wings each creature was covered all over with eyes even under his wings day and night get this church day and night they never stop saying holy 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 let that sink in. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God who does what, church? Over what? All. He's holy. He's holy. He's holy. He's the Lord God who rules over all. He was, He is. And he will come. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the eternal heavenly Father. James chapter 1, verse 13. When you are tempted, you shouldn't say, God is tempting me. God cannot be tempted by evil, and he doesn't tempt anyone. He doesn't tempt anyone. Genesis 18, 25. You would never kill godly people along with those who are evil, would you? You wouldn't treat godly and evil people alike. You would never do anything like that. Won't the judge of the whole earth do what is right? Yes, he will. Yes, he will. God is just. God is holy and eternally sinless. Eternally sinless. As we move along, let me introduce you to a strange but powerful word compatibilism not cannibalism I didn't say cannibalism compatibilism 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 is how we put these three truths together compatibilism is the glue that holds these three truths these three attributes together 
in a compatible way so that we can answer the three questions that I introduced to you at the beginning of this message, which was this. How are we to understand divine sovereignty and human freedom working together? Number two, if God is sovereign, and He is, say amen, amen, then why are we and not God held responsible for the evil things that we do? And number three, how can God be good in parable and there still be evil in the world? Great theologian of our day, D.A. Carson, explains compatibilism as the idea that, quote, the Bible as a whole and in specific texts teaches that both of the following propositions are true. God is absolute, absolutely sovereign. God is absolutely sovereign, but His sovereignty never functions in such a way that human responsibility is curtailed, minimized, or mitigated. Human beings are morally responsible creatures. They significantly believe, choose, defy, make decisions, obey, rebel, and so forth, and they are rightly held responsible for such actions, but this characteristic never functions to make God absolutely contingent, end quote. Now, these two propositions are taught all throughout Scripture, taught all throughout this book, and are mutually compatible. God is absolutely sovereign. God is totally in control. But human beings are morally responsible creatures. Again, God has his part. Humans have their parts. Now then, let's look at three specific passages that shows how God can be sovereign over all things, yet human beings are completely responsible for their own sinful actions. Let's begin with the story of Joseph. A little background on Joseph. You remember Joseph in the Old Testament? He's one of the sons of Jacob, better known as Israel. Jacob becomes the nation of Israel. And Joseph is betrayed by his brothers. He's actually sold into slavery. And then they take him and dump him off and sell him in Egypt. Now, after serving in the house of the governor Potiphar, he's unjustly accused of rape by Potiphar's wife, and he's thrown into prison. Things aren't looking good for Joseph, are they? But ultimately, ultimately, because of sovereign God, he's delivered from prison by God, and he's raised up to be the one through whom God rescues Israel and blesses the nations during the time of famine. What we have to learn is sometimes we go through some really bad things in life. We are faced with some very troubling circumstances. But when we believe in the sovereignty of God, we trust in His providential care, and we know God has us on a journey taking us somewhere in order for us to be blessed and be a blessing to others. See, God takes everything. God takes all things for those that love Him. And he works it out for our good and for his glory. For his glory. Now, Genesis chapter 45, verses 4 through 8. Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. So they did. Then he said, I am your brother Joseph. I am the one you sold into Egypt. But don't be upset. And don't be angry with yourselves because you sold me here. God sent me ahead of you to save many lives. 
for two years now, there hasn't been enough food in the land, and for the next five years, people won't be plowing or gathering crops. But God sent me ahead of you to keep some of you alive on earth. God sent me ahead. Huh? God sent me ahead to keep some of you alive on earth. He sent me here to save your lives by an act of what? His mighty power. So then, it wasn't you who sent me here. It was God. He made me like a father to Pharaoh. He made me master of Pharaoh's whole house. He made me ruler of the whole land of Egypt. Joseph, young man who's working out in the fields, taking care of sheep. He's kidnapped by his brother, sold into slavery. Ends up in Egypt, working as a slave. Falsely accused of rape. Tried and convicted and charged. Thrown into prison. Stays there a number of years. God delivers him out of prison. What terrible thing is going to happen next? God is going to sovereignly and providentially put him number two seat in the land of Egypt so that he can save God's people, Israel, in a time of famine that nobody knew was coming but Almighty God. See how God is directing all things for our good and for his glory? That's just one example. That's just one example. Now notice this. Genesis 50, 20. Back to you, Phil. Me stopped working. Phil. Brianna. Philip. Hello, friend. I was working and now I'm not. Genesis 50, 20, you plan to harm me, but God planned it for, I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. Good. Yeah, good. You planned it to harm me, but God planned it for good. He planned to do what is now being done. He wanted to save many lives. What if we viewed every situation in life that was troubling and terrible and devastating as an act of Almighty God in the process of saving other people. That would make life worth a journey, wouldn't it? Maybe we need to change the way we look at things. Maybe when it rains, we're going to say, God, I praise you for the rain. Maybe when trouble comes, we say, God, praise you for the trouble. I know better days are ahead, and you're working this out for my good and the good of others and for your glory. God, thank you for everything. So we see here that it was the willful acts of Joseph's brothers, human agency, men being responsible for what men do, that caused him to end up in Egypt. But according to Joseph's own words, it wasn't his brothers who sent him to Egypt, but it was who? God. God sent him to Egypt. Now then, let's look at the story of Job. Look at the story of Job. Again, Job is a, according to chapter 1, verse 1 in the book of Job, Job is a blameless, say blameless. What could possibly go wrong to a man who's blameless and upright? 
He's blameless and upright. Now, according to the prosperity gospel, nothing but good could possibly come his way, right? Unless you read the Bible. Job chapter 1, verse 8 through 19. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you thought about my servant Job? Pay close attention to that sentence right there. The Lord said to Satan, Have you thought about my servant Job? There isn't anyone on earth like him. He's honest. He does what's right. He has respect for me and avoids evil. You always give Job everything he needs, Satan replied. That's why he has respect for you. Haven't you guarded him and his family? Haven't you taken care of everything he has? You've blessed everything he does. His flocks and herds are spread all through the land. But reach out your hand and strike down everything he has. Then I'm sure he will speak evil things against you. In fact, he'll do it right in front of you. The Lord said to Satan, All right, I'm handing everything he has over to you, but do not touch the man himself. Then Satan left the Lord and went on his way. One day Job's sons and daughters were at their oldest brother's house. They were enjoying good food and drinking wine. During that time, a messenger came to Job. He said the oxen were plowing, the donkeys were eating grass near them. The Sabines attacked us and carried the animals off. They killed some of the servants with their swords, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, a second messenger came. He said, God, who? God sent lightning. God sent lightning from the sky. It struck the sheep and killed them. It burned up some of the servants. I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, a third messenger came. He said the Chaldeans separated themselves into three groups. They attacked your camels and carried them off. They killed the rest of the servants with their swords. And I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, a fourth messenger came. He said, your sons and your daughters were at your oldest brother's, at their oldest brother's house. They were enjoying good food and drinking wine. And suddenly, a strong wind blew in from the desert. It struck the four corners of the house. The house fell down on their children. Now all of them are dead. I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. Here's my question to you. Put your place, put yourself in the place of Job. You're living his life, and this day comes upon you totally unexpected. Everything you owned has been destroyed. Every living animal you owned is dead. All your children are dead. All your possessions are gone. All you have left is your house and your wife. What's your response? Let's look at Job's response. Verse 20 through 22. After Job heard all those reports, he got up and tore his robe. He shaved his head, and he fell to the ground 
worship the Lord. How could Job act as Job is acting? Because he is a righteous, holy, upright man. He knows God. Now listen, he knows God. He understands God. He believes in God. And he trusts God more than circumstances. And he trusts in the Lord more than possessions. And he trusts in the Lord more than family. His whole heart, every part of Job's being, he loves God supremely. And he knows and understands God. So he hears these reports. He gets up, he tears his robe, he shaves his head. He falls down to the ground on his face before God and he worships the Lord. Listen to these words. He said, I was born naked, and I'll leave here naked. You have given, and you have taken away. May your name be praised. May your name be praised. He said, in spite of everything, Job didn't sin. Catch this, church. Job didn't sin by blaming God. How many in the room? Don't, don't, don't put your hand up. Don't nod your head. Don't answer out loud. Rhetorical questions just between you and God in your mind and in your heart. How many times in your life have you blamed God for the circumstances you didn't desire? The Bible says that when we blame God, we're sinning. And here's what we know from reading this account. We know that God said, have you considered my servant Job? And God kind of sicked Satan on Job. So Satan is doing these things. Satan is causing most of this to happen in Job's life. But Job attributes the giving and the taking away of his property and the lives of his children to who? Almighty God. See, God is sovereignly ruling over good and evil in the actions of every actor in this scene. God is in control, isn't he? The narrator of the book says that in Job's description of all of this to the Lord, that Job never sinned by charging God with doing wrong. And finally, let's look at the, let's look at the life of Jesus. Now just for a moment, we're, we're in the Christmas season, but let's go back to Easter. Let's talk about the crucifixion for a moment. The crucifixion of Christ, the sinless Son of God, the righteous one, the one who never sinned. His crucifixion is the most wicked and evil atrocity ever committed on planet Earth. God came down to man, and man killed God. Yet, we know as believers, we know as people of the book, as spirit-filled believers, as educated in the word believers, we know it happened by the hand of God and by the plan of God. Acts chapter 4 verses 24 through 28. 
When the believers heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Lord and King, they said, you made the heavens, the earth, and the sea. You made everything in them. Long ago you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David who served you. You said, why are the nations angry? Why do people make uh, useless plans? The kings of the earth take their stand against the Lord. The rulers of the earth gather together against his anointed king. In fact, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together in this city with those who weren't Jews. They also met with the people of Israel. All of them made plans against your holy servant, Jesus. He is the one you anointed. They did what your power and purpose had already decided should happen. Let's, let's look at that one more time. The people did. They did what your power and your purpose had already decided should happen. Go to Acts chapter 2, verse 22 through 24. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man who had God's approval. God did miracles, wonders, and signs among you through Jesus. You yourselves know this. Long ago, God planned that Jesus would be handed over to you. With the help of evil people, you put Jesus to death. You nailed him to the cross. But God... But God raised him from the dead. He set him free from the suffering of death. It wasn't possible for death to keep its hold on Jesus. Why? Because God was in control. That was men like you and me. It was men like you and me, men and women like you and me who sent Jesus to the cross. But it was ultimately God who had predestined it. It was God who ordained it. It was God who oversaw it. And so we see the idea of compatibilism working out in Scripture in all three of these accounts, don't we? Joseph, Job, and Jesus. And the Bible is full of account after account after account of God's sovereignty and human agency running alongside one another and God sovereignly tying it all together to work out for our good and His glory and His ultimate purpose. Amen? God sovereign over all things. God is sovereign over sin. He is sovereign over evil. He is sovereign over Satan. Yet human beings are completely responsible for their own sinful actions. So what do we do with all this? What do we do with all of this? Let me give you a couple of applications and I'll be done. Number one, look at the cross. The cross tells the story of God's sovereignty. Why did everything happen from Genesis to the Gospels the way it happened? Because God had a plan. And God has a plan. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 9. Listen closely. At just the right time. We sing the song all the time, don't we? God is an on-time God. Yes, He is. 
Where do we get that from? We get that from the Scriptures. We get that from truth. At just the right time, Christ died for ungodly people. He died for us when we had no power of our own. It is unusual for anyone to die for a godly person. Maybe someone would be willing to die for a good person. But here is how God has shown his love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The blood of Christ has made us right with God. So we are, over, we are even more sure that Jesus will save us from God's anger. So looking to the cross, what do we do with everything we've heard today and last week about the providence of God? Trust that while we may not fully understand how it all works together, we can be absolutely sure that God is a good and faithful father don't have to understand it all to know that i've met people who need to be saved and refuse to be saved because they say i don't know enough yet listen i've been saved for 44 years and i still don't understand it all yeah but you're a preacher i still don't understand it all yeah, but you're our pastor. I still don't understand it all. I'll never understand it all as long as I'm wearing this tent of flesh. But just the moment I get home, I'll understand it all. But in the meantime, I'm walking by faith, not by sight, not by understanding. I'm walking by faith. We know that God is a good and faithful God. Why? Because he sent his own son to die our eternal life and finally look at the end look at the end guess what I read the back of the book huh see this book has a beginning and it has an end and then at the very end it says to be continued in eternity doesn't it to be continued on the other side. And we don't need a written word for that because we're going to be in the presence of the word for all of eternity. Don't have to understand it all. Look to the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. And then look at the end. Look at the end of the story. Look at the end of the book. Revelation chapter 21, you're almost at the end of the book, aren't we? John the Revelator said, I heard a loud voice from the throne. It said, now God makes his home with people. And he will live with them. I've shared this with Michelle and others at times. I've shared it with you, I think, too. You know, as a youngster coming through high school, I... I've always heard the preaching of the Word of God. I've been raised in church all my life. I've been under good, solid preaching all of my life. I've always known that there was going to be an end come and then the judgment and then eternity. And I've been cutting deals with God all my life. Back in the 80s, God just let me graduate high school before you come back. I'd like to see my diploma. Done. God, now that I'm out of school, let me just find a gorgeous, beautiful, golden-haired lady with blue eyes and... Let me marry her. Check. 
God, now that I'm married up, out of my league, and got a beautiful wife, can we have some kids before you come back? Check. Well, God, it may take a day or two, but could you wait till I have some grandkids and before you come back? One on the way. I'm done. I'm done, absolutely. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I, I used to wonder as a youngster, why is all them old people wanting Jesus to come back all the time? Don't they know we got a life to live? Well, guess what fooled around and happened? I become one of them old people who wants Jesus to come again. Heard a loud voice from the throne. It said, now God makes his home with his people. He will live with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them. And be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sadness. There will be no more crying or pain. Things are no longer the way they used to be. So what do we do? We, we trust. We trust that while we may not fully understand God's sovereignty in all its respects, we do know how it's going to end. It ends well, doesn't it? We know that His divine actions is working toward God's gift of salvation to whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord. Michelle, you all come on up this morning. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Just as a reminder, God did not spare His own Son. His only Son, He gave Him up for us all. Then won't He also freely give us everything else? I vote yes. What about you? God didn't spare His own Son. He gave Him up for all of us. Then won't He also freely give us everything else? You know what the cross is? The cross of Christ is the eternal pledge of God's eternal, unconditional love for you and me. In Christ, God is forever for us and not against us. Amen? Amen. Would you stand as we pray this morning?